that's where all my good gravel went. Oh, darn them kids and their dog. So, welcome back to Questionable Audio. Questionable Audio. That's right. Did you miss us? We know you did. Roll the theme. Yes. Well, I am Aaron G from Aaron G TV, and I'm Joe Giza, and I don't have a TV show. With our powers combined, this is <gasps> Questionable Audio. That's right. Hey, thank you for uh, sticking with us. So what's new in the world of Aaron G TV? Well, I've been doing uh, a lot of different voiceovers. I've been working with some new companies. I've been doing uh, some of the same companies. Like some some clients have switched uh, to other <laughs> company but i have still maintained there's like hey would you like to oh yes yes i would actually i'm aaron g sometimes i work with new people sometimes i work with old people yeah, sometimes sometimes in the voiceover world you work with people who are the same sometimes you work with people who are different that's just how i roll that's all i have to say about that <laughs> what okay. a leave lineup for you <laughs> that was almost right. <laughs> the theme from uh what was it? I was going to say Starbucks, but I, what I meant was Jurassic <laughs> Park, which is pretty much the same thing. Starbucks. A, Star we're not Wars, talking about Starbucks, about, Jurassic Park. <laughs> we're not talking about, you know, triple lattes became extinct from deforestation or the building of a dam. Mocha cappuccino had its shot. Nature specifically selected it for extinction. <laughs> I always get self-conscious because... Um, I recently spent a lot of time with the same bunch of people in a bus because we were on tour. Ooh. And um, okay. and every day our wonderful tour manager would buy coffee for everybody. And he'd come in usually in the middle of sound check or something and we'd pause to give our coffee orders. And it would always come to me and I'd be out at front of house. So I'm like 100 feet away from the stage. And so I'd have to yell above the din of everything else <laughs> going on. So everyone would hear me because he'd just look over at me and kind of wave. And I'd have to yell at the top of my lungs, Venti Mocha Cappuccino, please, with whipped cream and chocolate shavings. Because that's what I'd get every time. Wow. And usually the whole room would go silent. <laughs> I would order the pinkest drink. <laughs> like, it's just about the as... trendiest, just most ridiculous. I couldn't bring myself to order a pumpkin Venti spice. Venti Mocha, no, low fat, high foam. Yes, that was, yeah. that was me. That was me wow. every day. But you know what? When that coffee came, I enjoyed it. Basil! I would like basil! <laughs> In a beige cup, please! He does recycled things. It's like, why are recycled things always a little bit browner than other things? It's like, uh, I just subliminally, I man, there's certain things I don't want to reuse. Like once you've used it for certain things, I I don't need it again. You know what? Just just put that in a landfill. We'll lose some Californians. Launch it into outer space. To global warming, but you know what? <laughs> those but, pesky ice caps, we won't need those anymore. <laughs> but you'll be comfortable. Exactly. Okay, so anyway, um, so you've been doing some voiceover stuff, some old people, some new people. Sometimes yep. it's the same people, sometimes it's different. That's true. I've been also uh, recording a music video for a local band. 
So that's kind of cool. It's turning out very nice. Excellent. Going, I got to see some of the pre-edited B-roll stuff, and it looked good. Yeah. I, mean, I was watching it on my phone, it. but it's all good. Yeah, you should see it on, like, a tablet. It's even more amazing. Actually, we, no, we, we did Oh, well, watch, you did see it. Oh, we watched whoa. it on my tablet. But, you know, it was a high definition. So That's true. That looks cool. I look forward to seeing the finished product. Yeah. So I got a bunch of questions. Okay, I want to I I address this here. Uh, we're questionable audio, obviously. So I've been getting a lot of questions, but people have been coming up to me and asking me these questions. You got to write them down, people. Because uh, I went and I thought I wrote them down. But apparently, you know what? It's probably on my Android device. So please send in your audio questions to questionable audio and that is questionable audio at gmail.com or questionable aud uh, on the internets uh that's twitter but then questionable audio everywhere else and uh send in your questions like seriously we're here uh as a resource to you and uh yeah we will definitely answer those questions and if we don't know the answer we will talk to some people who do oh here's something uh, I just found out today that Joe didn't know who Mr. Miyagi was. And I would like to send out a request. Like, does anybody, is that like a thing? Does it, do other people out there not know who Mr. Miyagi was? Apparently played by Pat Morita, whose real name I think was Noriyuki Morita, I think. That, that may be completely wrong. I might have just asked somebody for carrot salad in Japanese. So please write in and let me know if that's true. But yeah, so he was something from something called, uh, he was in a band called The Doors. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so somehow we're going to have to come up with a creative segue to get into our topics for today. Well, let's segue. Speaking of segues, let's talk about our topics. So the first topic, uh, we did a little video, hopefully that made it out, uh, on how to wrap cables. Yo, because wrapping cables be like difficult. There are lots of ways that people wrap cables. There are lots of wrong ways to wrap cables. And hopefully we showed you an example of the terrible ways. Well, I think we should we should play it now. Okay, here we go. And there it was just like that. That was pretty amazing, wasn't yep. it? Yeah. I think there's probably going to be a link in the in the the description of this thing. It's not description because that's YouTube, but no, there is a description. Oh, okay, yeah. so there's a link in the description for the video on on how to do it. So hopefully you've paused clicked on that and are now back if not your timeline's going to be all messed up and things are going to be weird some people have asked me too how do you listen to podcast on the android can i give my endorsement oh yeah yeah go for it i use player fm oh that's a nice one it's uh i don't know who makes it but the app's called player fm that's what i use it has all your features your half speed your double speed you can remove the silence you can cue things up you can download them and listen to them later offline um there's ratings and you can create an account so that you can log in on your computer or different devices and everything and it's all right there so i've been using that one and i use a very cheap crappy android phone um mm -hmm. not that androids are cheap and crappy but this particular one is i think i paid 29 dollars for it um yeah uh, it works like a charm player fm that's the winner in my book Sweet. Everything else can just uh, burn and die. Yeah, apparently, because I can't remember the name of it. I thought it was like Amplitude or something like that, but I don't think it is. Nope. 
All right, cool. Well, use Joe's. <laughs> because his is easier to remember. Yep. Talking about um, boutique cables and, you know, oxygen-free copper and all this oh, kind yeah. of woo-woo stuff out there is a good um, segue into one of the other things we wanted to talk about. And that's um, just kind of a universal theme about gear. Um, and the example that I was going to use is the um, console that I just bought. So, Joe... You bought a new console. I did. <gasps> and I bought, I spent a lot of time deliberating of what to buy. Oh, I bet. But I'll kind of spoil it. I Well, it's not really a spoiler. Nobody cares. Spoiler alert. But I bought a Midas M32R. Whoa. And it sounds a lot fancier than it is, but I really enjoy it. I think they're phenomenal desks and this kind of, opens up a whole can of worms, which anybody who spends any time reading online about live sound at all has heard of the now famous uh, Behringer X32. And this is the Midas version of the same, you know, the guts of the console are exactly the same. Yeah, and also Um, I want to let people know, like, we're not here to say, like, what is the best and what, you know, what isn't the best, except for the things that I say, that everything that I say is, like, the most important thing. You should take it as absolute law. But in general, uh, yeah, please continue. Sure. So this is all all just opinion, but, you know, here, so this is it. (laughs) Yeah. So it, what was your reasoning between, go, so there was the X32, between mm-hmm. the X32 and the Midas version, which is called the- what? M32. The M32. Right. Very, very clever naming scheme there. Um, so I was looking at the smaller versions, which um, perform the same, exact same specs. They're just physically smaller. They have less faders, less connectivity on the desk. Um Function-wise, they all do the exact same thing. Every board in their line is identical. Um, Behringer has four or five in their line, and Midas has three. Um, So that's a pretty wide range based on your needs. Everything from rack-mountable, single-rack unit jobs, all the way to the full-size console. But they all are 40-channel desks. They can handle 32 at a given time by 16 outputs, um, eight stereo effect slots. Very, very good feature set. Um, and I I've, I deliberated back and forth between the X32 Compact, which has 16 faders, and the Midas M32R, which also has 16 faders. Um, the Midas was a couple pounds lighter, and mm. their faders are uh, rated for, I think, a million cycles. Um, and I think that X32s are rated for slightly less than that. I'm just imagining somebody at home going, a million cycles, I can go through that in an hour. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Well, I tell you what, my, uh, at the time, eight-year-old kid would definitely get run for their money. <laughs> so, oh, I, these are so amazing. <laughs> when that first came in the mail. But, um, so I ended up going with the Midas, not because it says Midas and everybody says that the pre's are better and everything. Um, it was more of a practicality. It's a, it's a little bit smaller. It's a few inches smaller and it's like, two pounds lighter and I was going to be potentially flying with it or at least carting it around a lot. So I wanted the slightly lighter. Um, and just personal opinion, I think it looks a little cooler, but ah, but other go. than that, um, it was, it was a very tight race and maybe we'll do another segment down the road about the actual reasoning and, and kind of point out some features of both of them. But I elected for a slightly smaller screen to save on some weight. 
Um, and also, uh, I think it's important because you you are going to be traveling with this, and that's why it was narrowed down to those two devices. There are obviously other uh, boards that you've seen and that you would use, and uh, lots of different venues. But if this was the one out of these two that you chose to carry with you, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it's it's the size of a large oversized suitcase, um, and that's it. You know, you add a stage rack to it. Um, and I have a Cat 5 snake. I have 200 feet of Cat 5 that sits on a tiny little spool, takes up no space at all, and it weighs about two pounds. And I can run my own snake anywhere. All I need is power. That's more than adequate. Nice. You know, um, you know one of the biggest reasons to not use an X32 is when you need more than 32 channels, which there are plenty of people that do. But other than that, there's not many reasons not to use these desks, as as far as I'm concerned. They're definite game changers. They they're they're phenomenal for the market that they're targeted at, which is kind of the prosumer, um, you know, small pro sound company, churches, uh, installs, corporate gigs, all the way up to touring bands that just don't have a million dollars laying around. Yeah, you know, one of the things that people complain about them as well as Behringer's reliability. You know, they're not bulletproof. Um, and yeah, sometimes they sometimes some things fail in them. But one of the selling points was the things that fail are the faders, which are important. Yeah. And the scribble strips, the screens that tell you what the faders are, which are also important. Those are the yeah. two common failure points hmm. on these boards. Both of which are user serviceable. And the replacement parts are super affordable. Oh, that's... So yeah. it's like... And it doesn't stop the show. The board doesn't stop working. Yeah. It's not a it's not a showstopper. It's like, what are some of the downsizes? Well, it suddenly spontaneously catches on fire. <laughs> I mean, that would be, that would be a deal breaker for me. That would be a me. deal breaker. Definitely a deal breaker. But, but the only thing that's going to cause it to be a showstopper is it quitting, you know, the hard drive dying or memory failing or whatever is inside of it. And I don't care how high-end of a board you buy, there's still computers at the heart of it, uh, in digital world, speaking, of course. Yeah. But any, you know, whether it's this or a Studer or, you know, an Avid, you name it, there's still computers, and it's still possible that one day they just don't turn on. No. Or one day they turn themselves off. But that's possible with anything too well exactly that's that's my point it's possible with anything and i don't think it's any more likely to happen with an x32 you know if some of the bigger boards might have a redundant hard drive in them or a redundant power supply there might be better backup things in place out there that there are it's not just there might be there are better backup systems than what these have but I know people that have toured with these consoles for years, throwing them in and out of a truck, the same desk, five years every night that have been just fine. And yes, sometimes people have them for two weeks and they die. That is part of what you get when you when you buy a less expensive board. You know, you're taking a little bit of a gamble. But if it lasts two years... Yeah, this one might have been made on a Friday. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe somebody was just at the end of their shift, whatever, the end of their shift. But, you know, if it lasts past a certain point... You're probably good. Yeah. And there's just that people have problems with anything. Yeah. We had a $60,000 desk at the club that I worked at for a long time. And 
the thing would corrupt show files and it would just lock out fader control. Whoa. Or it would turn the faders up to maximum and wouldn't let you turn them down again. Like, it was just glitchy and it was a wonderful high-end fancy digital desk. So sometimes that just happens and you can't buy your way out of that. You can buy your way to it being less likely to happen potentially. Um, So that's one of the reasons. But... But these things are fantastic. I tour with them a lot with my personal one and with, you know, on shows where that's what's being used, the X32 even. Um, So some people consider them to be lesser because they're the Behringer instead of the Midas, whatever. But they're Mm -hmm. fantastic. I I think they're great. I don't really have many complaints about them. And in a lot of cases, the way that they've done things, I actually prefer over a lot of the bigger boards feature-wise, functionality-wise. I love the well, I love the tablet feature of all the boards now mm-hmm. that are coming out. They're like fully interactive. Uh, what What's your opinion of the the uh, like the XR eighteen and uh, stuff like that? Because I know like we both use those in places. Yeah. So the the X Air series is Behringer's kind of baby brother to the X thirty two. The X thirty two was their first modern foray into the digital world. They had one other digital board or a couple years ago um that was ls9 era stuff and they they weren't great functionality wise they were kind of clunky to get around on but then they came out with the x32 and changed the world that was right when they uh acquired midas when music group acquired midas and behringer and clark technic and turbo sound and a couple others they kind of became this huge conglomerate they're like hey share the wealth everybody and share the preamps that's what they've been doing and they've they've changed the world with it the xl uh, the x32 was fantastic so then they came out with the x air series which is kind of the the stripped down version that's tablet controlled only there's no control surface um unless you buy an expansion hardware thing um but those are those are fantastically capable they're very similar to the x32s um, they just have a little bit less of everything. They max out at 16 channels, um, four stereo effect slots instead of eight, six buses instead of 16. You know, so they're they're a little bit less feature-wise, but but capability and you know performance. I think they're fantastic. I think you you look at what a board like that used to be in the analog world before. It's like how big of a board it is. Uh, in application it's huge like mm-hmm. you see those boards in the analog world they were they were enormous yep like i have a what is it a, a 24 8 one of those mackie 24 8s mm-hmm. and that thing is a bear it's uh i wouldn't take it on a plane with me for <laughs> exactly. sure it barely fits in my focus yep no <laughs> I remember carting is... that thing around like, wow look it's so big <laughs> it's like or it's so small yep and nowadays yeah it's the size of a you know loaf of bread basically a large loaf of bread and there's your your mixer i think it brings us to the next topic of the people not the gear well so that that's that's the thing about the midas and and the behringers is they're kind of the boards that everybody loves to hate at the moment yeah um because they're low cost because they have those names on them um they are associated with kind of an intro level and people associate that with a crappy sound and they sound thin or they sound sterile or they're, you know, small and they don't have the depth or the clarity or the headroom of these bigger desks and everything. And, you know, while this, the actual numbers, the specs of, you know, how many channels and how much DSP and um, stuff like that, yeah, the bigger boards, obviously, they give you a lot more. I mean, 
you know you can run 200 inputs or more on a lot of these consoles um you know those are all true but as far as the actual sound and the 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 ability to mix and the ability to do the job it's a tool and i think i don't think it makes sense to rely on a big fancy console to make everything sound good yeah it's like there is a certain if you're given the what it is as a tool is super powerful i don't think it's ever been available at this price point no no not at all and they're going to keep getting cheaper but but i think it's really important and without being you know i'm sure i'm going to open myself up to a bunch of hate mail but i really then think please send to questionable audio <laughs> at gmail.com I, I really think that there might it might be time to reevaluate some things if you can't get an x32 to sound good because there's <laughs> just Joe Giza dropping a bomb on the world. He's <laughs> it, like, I, you may, you, I mean, you may choose to do other things with your time. <laughs> no, no, you, it's you not that. Define your priorities I, in life. I would, I would dearly love to to work with somebody who clearly hears a difference with an X32, and I would like to set up a true comparison. Where in a real world scenario you can A B the two through the same PA, the same everything, you know, and go back and forth because I think there's so much else that goes into shaping people's opinions of this stuff. Um, and this goes for a lot more than just the X thirty two. This is just a kind of a hot topic at the moment. Um, I mean, we can all agree that different gear has different sounds. Yeah, they, they, they impart things, uh, impart their own character in some way shape or form to varying degrees you know there's lots of stuff that goes out of its way to not impart anything you know and you usually have to pay a price for that um and that's fine but but for the most part we can agree that everything's going to be a little bit different and you might like something better than you like something else and that i totally get no but I just I I don't hear it. I don't hear the night and day like oh my yeah, goodness. Like, this oh, is that just was obviously done on an X32. That was just oh so much better. You know, I've I've heard some amazing shows that people have done on an X32 and I just think it's so it matters so much more who's on stage and who's behind the console. Those are the two biggest factors. Yeah. You know, if you have a just a terrible set of speakers, if you're trying to mix on a Bose stick you know, if you're trying to mix a full rock band on a Bose stick, it's probably, you could put a great band on stage and a great engineer and it's probably not going to sound amazing. Yeah. But even then, it, as long as it's loud enough, it, they, the great, great engineer could probably make them sound good. Yeah. You know. But a great but, engineer doesn't blame his tools. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's not, it, it, it's just, it, as long as it's working, it's like I was talking about with the cables, as long as it works and it's not in, introducing noise or there's a, you know, cold solder joint, so it's you know rolling off a bunch of top end, or it's not too long, and you're getting signal loss or whatever. As long as it's functioning within the parameters that it's supposed to. In in my world, anyway, that's enough. That's okay. Move on. Because a different XLR or a different microphone isn't going to make or break a performance. Yeah. If it breaks, it will. <laughs> but as long as it's functioning. 
you know, as long as the singer's happy with the way their vocal sounds, they're going to sing amazing. If they're an amazing singer, you will get an amazing performance if they're happy with it. That was like uh, what we talk about all the time. Uh, there is a resistance of using the SM58 for a lot of things. And I think it falls along the same line. It's like people are people get it in their head a certain feel of something, and then they don't want to they don't want to get out of it. They don't mm-hmm. want to. It's like hey, it's like well, I mean, I've recorded some really cool moments with a fifty eight, and because it's you know it's reliable, I know what to expect out of it. Uh, the rejection is just enough, and uh, it's, like, <laughs> it's like just close your eyes. Yeah, I used you're using your favorite mic now. There you go. Yep. What were no. those mics that we were using? Because uh, we did that sound check over at the the Arc, and you introduced me to some really nice uh, just vocal mics. Oh, we were using a AKG 535. That is really nice. Those are really cool mics. They're kind of sleepers, um, but the people that I know that, that know about them love them. They're small diaphragm condenser vocal mics. Yeah. Um, they're internally shock-mounted, really nice. Uh, nicely built. I think they're still being made. I'm pretty sure you can still buy a new one. If not, they are kind of everywhere. You can buy them on eBay any day. But we um, we AB'd it really against. Nice. What did we AB it against? Uh, AB it. I think it was uh, it was a Beta 58, wasn't it? Using a Beta 58 in that. Yep. Yeah, that was interesting. They're fantastic. Um, they're wonderfully clear mics. I think James Taylor used one for a long time. I think that was his mic of choice for a long time. Um, but they're just very natural, clean mics. And people use them in the studio all the time, cut vocals with them. They're great because they have a rejection of a 58, basically, (laughs) with a lot more sensitivity and a much flatter, broader frequency response. So I love the 58 too, but sometimes you need something with extra bottom. That's usually where I find it lacking is there's not the thickness on the low end that you might need um, in the studio anyway. So these things are great because they'll cut out as much room noise as a 58 will. So if you're somebody who wants to track a vocal in front of the, the monitors while they're live and not use headphones, uh, it's a really good choice for that. Oh, that's good to know. Uh, but they're great live too. I really dig them. The only thing I wouldn't use them for is putting them in front of a singer, like in front of a really loud drummer. Oh, just because yeah. there's a lot of top end in them as well. Um, so cymbal leakage might be a problem, but if it's an average drummer, you know, or or a folk group or a jazz where things are a little bit more subdued stage volume-wise, they're fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. No, that's good. I remember uh, we did that sound check up there, and that was something that was really cool. Uh, I think the only downside for me is I run everything through that, uh, right now, the Line 6 HD 500. I might switch to the Helix. Maybe they endorse this podcast. But... uh, that so far the sound quality of that is, is pretty sweet, but it doesn't p- provide phantom power. Okay, so you need to stick with the dynamic. Mic. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with dynamic. So let's see this next thing. Well, first I want to remind everybody to send all of your questions to questionableaudio at gmail dot com or reach out to us on social media. Uh, pretty much everywhere except for Twitter, we're questionable audio, and then on Twitter we're questionable aud. And uh, reach out to us. Like uh, and share, all that jazz, but uh, most importantly, ask us questions. So we did a little experiment 
And we've been wanting to do this for a while because uh, there's uh, a, a website that I don't know that we're going to name simply because uh, I don't know that it's important. But also, I, they don't endorse the podcast, so I don't, I don't want to rush to endorse them. So we we acquired, well, we paid for a guitar, uh, and this guitar was from like where where would you say? Somewhere overseas. Somewhere in the opposite side of the round earth. Yep. Or, yeah, the other far part of the flat earth. The east. If, if yeah. Yeah, but uh, so we got one of these just to check them out and see what we could do, and hopefully there will be some video of that soon. But we're going to talk about like the experience uh, with this if we could. So, so China guitars. <laughs> the idea behind the China guitar was let's buy a Les Paul for a hundred dollars. That's just. An absolute cheap piece of junk. Yeah, a lemon. And see how good we can make it. Because it's an electric guitar, and pretty much everything on electric guitars are replaceable relatively easily. Um, you know, acoustic is a little bit more work. You can replace a nut or a bridge or a, a saddle or a tuner, you know, but the real meat and potatoes of the instrument is kind of all one thing glued together, so it's kind of hard to swap. Electric guitars are so much fun because you can just pull everything out and gut it. Yeah. So that was the first thing I did. It actually showed up in the mail while I was on tour. So you came over to my house and I demoed did. it. <laughs> I checked it out, plugged it into my large and crazy amplifier. It's a tiny little 15-watt practice amp. But he sent me a little video of it and um, was pretty impressed with it right off the bat. So it felt good. It actually, yeah, it felt pretty it, good. It was for for costing a hundred bucks. It was pretty remarkable. Yeah. So bought it, and I put, um, <laughs> I put, I put about three hundred dollars into it. <laughs> <laughs> so not really trying to do this on like the absolute budget. I thought let's just put everything really nice in. So I put some really nice pickups. Um, I I chose the pearly gates pickups by seymour duncan because they're um they're kind of like the souped up paf style pickup that mm. would have been in this guitar um you know in the back in the day early 60s maybe um so those I, I really like those i've used those on a bunch of other guitars and um and they're cool and really nice i went with the cts pots and uh, orange drop caps switchcraft jack um, kind of your standard, not really boutique, but definitely a step up from like mid-ground stuff. Yeah. Um, wired it up, put some nice clues on tuners on it. And um, the only thing I didn't do is I didn't convert the bridge spacing. Um, so it's still the, the import um, bridge spacing. So I have to use a Chinese bridge. I can't put a, an oh. American bridge on it. Yeah. Because um, they're a little bit narrower. Uh, or I'm sorry, I think they're a little bit wider than the American bridges. They, oh, they use the post spacing is a little bit off. Um, so it's not direct swappable, but it is direct swappable with any Epiphone part. Or oh, interesting. <laughs> the infamous Epiphones. Nobody knows about those. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so... It's a sleeper. So, so everything is pretty much replaced except for the body and the neck. And again, this is going back to kind of the console thing. There's obviously millions of people out there that debate back and forth 
you know, all day long, whether the wood is important or not, or blah, 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 this and that and everything. And, and again, I, this is just my opinion. And well, I think the wood is really important and I believe that it can have a huge effect on the playability and the feel of the guitar overall and what you're able to do with it. I think if you were to listen to somebody else play a Les Paul that weighed, you know, 9.2 pounds and somebody else play one that weighed 8.7 pounds that had a slightly thicker maple cap, um, I don't think objectively a third party hearing them play through the same amp could really discern a difference. I think it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to be holding the instrument no. to really be able to pick out those little details. However, if you'd like us to AB it, uh, please send us your... Uh, <laughs> Feel free to send yeah. me two of your Les Pauls, yeah. and I'll, uh, I'll try them, and you can do be the questionable party. audio, at, uh, <laughs> yeah, and we'll set that up. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's that's just kind of my opinion, is it's more of a player thing. You kind of have to be feeling it. You know, I don't think... You, when you listen to a record, by the time it's, you know, gone through pedals, gone through an amp, hit a microphone, gone into a console, digitized, mixed, put a bunch of plugins on, then put in a mix with a bunch of other things. Then play it on an iPhone. Then play it on an iPhone. Even play it on a good set of speakers. You can't yeah. really go and say that that Les Paul doesn't have as much sustain as, you know, this, whatever. Like, I, I just, yeah. I don't buy all that. So you either like it or you don't. So anyway, the, the idea was that, yes, this might be the cheaper wood, uh, well, it is the cheaper wood, but is it good enough? Yeah. And so... I'm curious to hear you play some shows on it. Yeah, I, I am too. I've got an outdoor... We're in uh, December right now, and I'll be playing an outdoor New Year's Eve gig. Um, so this is a perfect candidate, because it's kind of a cheapie to take out into the elements and see how it holds up. So I'll have my backups there just in case it sucks. But But I'm hoping to have it ready by then needs a little bit of a setup uh it needs a lot of setup <laughs> but hopefully <laughs> i'll I'll get it into the ballpark tomorrow and see what's up but yeah it's um so far i'm kind of blown away i was not expecting it to be as good as it is good it's, yeah it's, it's not amazing you know we were comparing it to my actual sg earlier today um and you know there's there's clearly some differences in quality uh, build quality and just attention to detail but i think yeah overall as an instrument like as something that you could play and you know do shows with it looks like a million bucks it, it I looks think, remarkably good i think that was the the main takeaway for me uh is like when i when i played it at first we took it out of the <laughs> <Go bomb! laughs> when we took it out of the box uh the paint job obviously there were some flaws in the paint job i mean it wasn't it wasn't 100%. But if you close your eyes just a little bit, you just like squint, you stand on one foot, it's <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Well, I mean, we're sitting right now, we're sitting like six feet away from it maybe? Yeah, it, look, it looks like a legit Les Paul sitting up there. I mean, obviously, that was a little bit of a... Uh, a cheater thing there because it it did come with the name Gibson on it even though it is not a Gibson. But I mean, out of the box before you did any modifications to it, and I plugged it in. If you would have told me it was an Epiphone, I would have said this is a good Epiphone. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the scariest thing for me because, uh, and that was why I'm like, I didn't even know. So we might not even do this. This <laughs> we didn't even put this on here because it was sad to say that like the the Chinese garbage guitar uh, was a good fake. Mm -hmm. It's like if I I could go to Guitar Center 
and buy a brand new no-name guitar uh, and not be as happy. So it's like, that was really scary. Yeah, it was kind of surprising. I I'm was curious hoping... to hear. I, we should do some recording on it. Yeah. Just because. Yeah, we'll definitely revisit this in, in shows to come and we'll we'll post some updates. Yeah. In fact, uh, if we ever do any shows, uh, like any Omni stuff or anything like that, I will, I'll link in there, this is the China guitar. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Very cool. Yeah, it looks nice. Well, I think that's pretty much all we have for today. Cool. Just like real easy, uh, easy time just hanging out. I know you, uh, you just got off of tour. Yep. I just got home and then I'll be leaving again in about a month. Um, that's be, right. You're out right away. I'll be in Australia and New Zealand. I'll be in month. Australian, New Zealanders. So any of you New Zealanders out there who are like really into uh, listening to podcasts, American podcasts about audio and wrapping cables and everything. Be sure to, uh, you know, check us out. Good on you. You could say. <laughs> My name's Aaron G, and I do voiceovers. And I'm here to say I love Fruity Pebbles in a major way. <laughs> okay. I'm sending these to John Giza. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. My phone corrected me. <laughs> Joe Giza, you mean Joe Giza, the disco sheriff? Yes, I do, iPhone. <laughs> Was that a real sneeze? Yeah. You got a problem with that? <laughs> you sneeze like a unenthusiastic cartoon. Okay, here comes more cheeseburger sauce. I did Foley for a dinosaur movie. Oh, yeah, I was trying to get in on that with you. Yeah, it was a 3D children's movie about dinosaurs that came to life. Wow. Well, actually, these people just dug down in a tunnel and found that dinosaurs are still alive. And I just remember the parking lot of the studio was under construction, and we went out and we robbed a bunch of stones from the construction site, like gravel. <laughs> Nice. So it wasn't really robbery because I, I mean, technically it is because it wasn't our gravel. But Favorite! I don't think anybody really cared, but we grabbed some gravel and this was in 2011. Right now, it the is person now 2017. Home, jumped off of his couch and said, that's where all my good gravel went. Oh, darn them kids and their dog. We didn't have a dog, um, but <laughs> the, gravel, <laughs> the, gravel, <laughs> the gravel is still in the studio. <laughs> I just heard from him the other day. So it's 2017 now. Oh, so, so you could always bring it back. So that's so good. So six years later, the gravel is still there. So anyway, 